Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is the ebullient Beanie Feldstein, an actor whose credits include critically acclaimed films like Lady Bird and Booksmart, in addition to Broadway's Hello, Dolly. In this episode, Beanie speaks about committing seriously to acting at a young age and those who've championed her along the way, like Anne Gessling of Santa Monica's Morgan Wixon Theater, Greta Gerwig, who directed Lady Bird, her own family, including her older brother, actor Jonah Hill, and of course, the inimitable Ted Walsh at Harvard Westlake. Beanie speaks in depth and detail about Ted's influence, how nervous she was the day he attended her Broadway show, and how his example and lessons endure in every acting role she inhabits to this day. But Beanie is perhaps most in awe of her Harvard-Westlake peers, who, in addition to remaining her closest friends, have, much like her, found spectacular success in the performing arts. Beanie recounts the unbelievable story of watching in person her high school prom date, Ben Platt, win a Tony for Best Actor in a Musical in 2017. And what this improbable tale conveys about faith and friendship and seeing the very best in those we love was among the most moving moments of not just this episode, but this series. This is The Supporting Cast. Feldstein, welcome to the supporting cast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Uh, first, I want to start with the present. We are amid this pandemic, which is unprecedented uh, for you and for everyone else. First, before we get to you as an actor and a working actor and what that has meant over the past year, kind of how are you doing personally amid the anxiety of this past year? Oh boy. <laughs> I'm like, do I give the honest answer? Do I give the easy answer? <laughs> I'm I'm doing my best. I think we're all doing our best. It's it's been a really challenging year in so many different ways, but I'm so grateful for my health and the health of my family and friends and I think it makes you really think about just the the people and and the things that are most important to you and just being safe, healthy, everyone around you that you love being those things and hopefully doing something that makes you happy every day, whether it's talking to a friend or going on a walk or just something, something simple. I'm living in a short-term apartment that's kind of sterile. So I'm like trying to brighten it up. I'm like, I bought pillows and blankets and trying to make it a little less of a gray box. But I miss New York. I miss theater. I miss, you know, I miss everything. But I'm also, I'm just grateful to be healthy and safe and those good things. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I gave the honest answer and you gave the easy answer. <laughs> it's true. But you're the interviewee. You know, people people are tuning in to hear from you, Beanie. Um, I'm doing fine. I have a, a two-year-old daughter uh, who doesn't know the difference. And she is a delight. Yeah. And it's been wonderful to work from home and, and spend more time and see her. So, so I'm doing okay, too. 
And so you referenced New York. You said that you bought an apartment in New York in March of 2020. So that sort of became your permanent residence, but you've been spending most of your time in LA. Is that to be a little closer to family and for work or? Um, after I graduated from Wesleyan, I moved directly to New York with my best friend, Melanie, who we met in seventh grade at Harper Westlake. And she was head prefect of my year. And she's my best friend in the whole world. And I went to Wesleyan and she went to Yale. So we were very close by throughout our college years. And then we moved in together in New York in summer of 2015 when we graduated college. And we lived there for five and a half years together. And then I decided to buy an apartment and I knew I was buying it. And then I was planning to come out to LA for work in March. I was supposed to start filming in March. And obviously that that wasn't able to happen because of COVID. So I came out to LA and then I just got stuck basically. And then I've stayed, I mean, luckily, obviously I'm from LA and I, I, my parents live here still. So I was with my parents for a very long time. And then when I started filming, I didn't want to be living with my parents just for safety and everything. So I moved into this, this gray box that I'm living in now. Um, so I've been in LA for almost a year now straight, which is the longest I've been here since I graduated from Harbor Westlake. But my my heart really belongs in New York. And and actually, like most of my Harbor Westlake friends moved to New York, either for college or after college. So we have a big, juicy, delicious crew of Harbor Westlake people in New York that is really nice in the in the normal, you know, world. Well, and your class from Harvard Westlake is re- remarkable, particularly in the performing arts. I mean, we can get to it later, but Catherine Gallagher and Ben Platt and Nick Lieberman, there's so many people who've found success. I mean, there's, it, it's pretty outrageous. We had a pretty special, special year. It's surreal. I think it's surreal to, to look at us in, you know, photos of me and Catherine and Ben and everyone and into the woods in 10th grade and then Ben winning a Tony, Catherine being in this current season nominated for a Tony, like it's just, it's completely surreal. I mean, we, we felt like we had something special, you know, when we were performing together in high school and it was always like the greatest joy to get to perform with them and be their best friends. But I don't think any of us could have anticipated this situation (laughs) that we're lucky enough to be in and to get to be in it together. And I remember when I got cast in Hello, Dolly. It's like the single best day of my life. And I texted Ben the Google Maps from the Schubert Theater to his theater. Um, and it was like a one-minute walk, just like across Schubert Alley. And I was like, what is our life? Like, what is our life? This doesn't make any sense. And we would, you know, be between shows, bopping. It just was like, and Catherine and getting to see her in Jagged Little Pill, I just wept. I just like, I just, now anytime I walk into a Broadway theater and I, there's like someone from my high school and I'm just like hysterically crying. But what's so surreal too is just how close we've all remained. We have a big group of us, like 10 or 12 of us, and we've just remained so close. And I, I think my closest friendships in my life have been from Harvard Westlake and sustained through this year's our 10 year reunion, which is pretty surreal. But yeah, they're just, they're the best, they're the best people I know. And obviously the most talented people I know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so special that we have gotten to experience all of these things together. That's just, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, you know, the supporting cast is a series about teachers and coaches and mentors, and we'll get to some of those. Um, Ted Walsh being a big one, I know for you 
but there's also the support of peers. And so I'm curious, I mean, we can go, I want to go back to even earlier than Harvard Westlake in a moment, but to go through this kind of success, you're on the stage with Bette Midler, Ben is down the street and Dear Evan Hansen. What is it like to have some success like this as such a young person? What is it like to have peers around you who kind of understand what you're going through, who on whom you can rely when things get uh, crazy or high pressure? Can you kind of speak to what that is like? I've been really, really lucky in my, I have trouble saying career because I don't know if I deserve that word yet, but uh, in my working life to meet people that I love and cherish and and just adore so many. I mean, I, I've been so lucky to work with people that I truly click with, but there's a difference when you, I snuck out of, don't, don't tell them, but I snuck out of geometry in ninth grade to see Ben get his braces off. Like he had left school and then came back and I snuck out of class to go see his teeth without braces. And like, there's a different level of connection and friendship when you grew up in each other's houses and you, the number of, you know, sleepovers I've had with Ben and Catherine, there's a deep level of growing up with someone and that type of friendship that when you also layer in the genuine, amazing creative connection of working with someone or in the same theatrical season, because the theater community is so close and, and delicious in that way. When you combine those two things, it's a very powerful combination because there's the growing up together and the familial comfortability. And then there's like the professional creative excitement and, and connection in that way. So when you combine those two things, so rare and so special, it just, I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, you, you know, you and Ben are, are best friends. And I'm like, we went to prom together. Like we literally went to prom together. We met at a bat mitzvah. Like there's just a different level of connection when you've known someone for that long and you've, you've been through the teenage years and, and you've grown together and, and you've, you've been able to maintain such a close, genuine connection for so long. Like I remember when Catherine got nominated recently for uh, when Jagged Little Pill was nominated for a Grammy, seeing Kat, I could like well up right now, like seeing Catherine's name on the Grammy nominees, I like thought about seeing her first show at the Whiskey when it was just her and she was writing songs at 14 and they were great. And like all she ever wanted was to record songs and have people listen to them and to see her name on the Grammy nom. It was just, it's like, it's a different level than if you meet someone at 25 and you're like, muscle tough on your thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I know the 14 year old inside of her that understands what this means to her, you know? So it's just, and it's not just Ben and Catherine, it's, it's Mel, my, you know, who I was saying, my roommate and, and Nick and Max and, Natalie and Gracie, there's Anna, there's, there's so many of us that we're still so, so, so close. And it's just, it's a very special, special thing. And Harvard Westlake is the place that that all happens. So I'm, I'm able to it every day. I still wear my class ring. Wow. Look at that. You can't see it <laughs> listening audience, but she is in fact. You have to trust me on this one. I still wear it. <laughs> well, and the same would go for you. I, I, last year you were nominated for a Golden Globe for, for Booksmart. Is that right? Yeah, uh, right. I bet they felt that same amount of pride for you. They knew you way back then as well, Beanie. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Ben was nominated for The Politician and we were there together and it, 
it just didn't feel real. It just doesn't, you know, it's like my mom is screaming at him on the red carpet to like take a picture, you know, like it's just, it's, it's family. It's like you're at a bar mitzvah. Pretty much. Bar mitzvah. It was our mitzvah. Um, it's just family. And to be in such a surreal situation, like, <laughs> you know, the Golden Globes red carpet and look and see, you know, obviously my mom was with me and my girlfriend was with me, but like to see Ben, it just, it just, it's, it's like, Ben and I always joke that we're soulmates. Like we're, we were like twins separated at birth. And I, I feel that way when I look at him, like, it's like, I've known you in another life in another world. Like there's a, there's a level of safety. It just can't be described. And the fact that we've just, we're on like twin paths almost. It feels like, like I got to be there when he won the Tony for Jared Van Hansen, but had I not been in Hello Dolly, I wouldn't have, you know what I mean? It just, and I remember when he won, I looked around and the whole room was standing. I mean, it was like extraordinary. And I thought I would be crying. Oh, I'm missing an important part of the story. For his 16th birthday, I got him cufflinks. And in the cufflink box, I wrote on a piece of construction paper, construction paper, with a Sharpie, I wrote for when you win your first Tony. No. He wore them to the Tony Awards. No. And he won. So he's up, he's walking up there in the cufflinks that I bought him. I, we're across the aisle from each other. He gets up and I looked around the room and I thought I would be crying. I mean, I envisioned, you know, crying, you know, I was hoping he'd win. And I looked around the room and everyone was looking at him the way I've always looked at him. And it was like mm. this incredible moment because there was just this look in everyone's eye of pride and excitement and all like his, his performance was just like awe-inspiring. And that's how I've looked at him since the day I met him at Ali Nadell's Bob Mitzvah. So it's just like it was it was amazing to see like the most talented people, the people that we look up to the most in this industry and what we do all looking at him like that. It's like one of my favorite moments I've ever had. Wow. Wow. And you're right about Ben's performance. I saw him on Broadway and Darren Hansen and it's the the most spectacular performance I've ever seen. It was yeah, remarkable. It's amazing to be inspired by people that you love so much. Like I feel that when I, Gracie, who's one of my best friends from Everwest, like looking at her drawings or Natalie Margol and her plays, like all of us are the beautiful thing about going to Harvard West, like I think is everyone is so exceptional at what they do. And it's, yes, we are, you know, obviously have been so lucky in our acting careers, but then you look at like our friends who are political advisors or economic advisors for all these people, you know, everyone at Harvard West like is excelling in such an incredible way or friends of ours that have become doctors and we can ask them that like, there's just, you're surrounded by very exceptional people. And I think that's, that's something that I never, I never take for granted having gone there. Like, it's just, it's rare to say that this is what my high school class is doing. Like, it's pretty outrageous. Yeah. And because you mentioned Allison Nadell, I want to mention her dad actually officiated my wife and my wedding. Oh my so there's the connection with the Nadells oh as well. I love the Nadells. And I, you know, Allie was like, she was kind of our matchmaker in some way. She knew that, that Ben and I would, would be friends. So 
I love Allie. She's Allison. I think she goes by Allison now, but I'll always call her Allie. Um, <laughs> um, the Daydales are amazing. I didn't know that. That's so nice. That's yeah, I know. Awful. They're amazing people. They really are. Um, I derailed us completely talking about Ben winning a Tony Award for 45 minutes, but it's a great topic. So I'm so- I love, no, that was amazing. The cu- I did not know the cufflink story. I mean, what? I had some gumption. I was like, I just, I just knew. It's just with Ben, you just knew. Like you really yeah. did. And it was the same watching Catherine and Max and Nick and Anna. It's just all of us. Our best friend, Anna, is a music supervisor and she works on shows and that all of us are working on. It's just like how our paths have, combined is is pretty surreal. So we can go back now kind of earlier in your life. You were obviously born and raised in Los Angeles. And the first people, I guess, to talk about are your parents. Can you talk about kind of the influence first before we get to, I know some some theater you did as a young person, even before you got to Harvard Westlake, but maybe starting with your own family, can you talk about the influence of, of in particular, your immediate family? So my parents met at summer camp, I think 1968 in New England. And my mom was a camper. My dad was a counselor. It was all very scandalous. And they started dating when my mom was in high school. My dad is from New York as well. My mom is from Long Island. My dad is as well, but he moved out to LA with his mom when he was like around 14. So he spent his adolescence in LA. And they have been together since my mom was 14. So it's, it's an incredibly unique, outrageous, special story and they are wow. night and day. My dad is grounded and logical and quiet and introverted. And my mom is this explosion of energy and creativity and the most social lights up any room that she's in. And my dad is just like grounded and kind and calm and quiet. Um, So I think I have both of them in me for sure. And I think I really love that I'm a unique blend of the two. I don't, I think outwardly people would think obviously because I'm a performer that I lean more towards my mom, but I definitely have a lot of my dad's sort of um, logical analytical side in me as well. And of course they were my first influences. Both of them really, the thing that combines them or the, th- the, sh- the qualities that they share are a deep commitment to hard work. They're both remarkably hardworking and dedicated to what they do. And they're both deeply, intrinsically generous people that really um, just want to give everything they can, both emotionally and, and in every other way to to others. So I think that's something that all five Feldsteins really share is we work really hard and we try to give back, whether it's like with our friends and family or in other ways, philanthropically. But I think that those are the two qualities that every Feldstein shares. Um, and then in other ways, we're, we're really all very different different demeanors, different, different ways that we interact with the world. But in those two ways, I think we're all very similar. And your, I should mention your older brother, of course, is Jonah Hill, who's a, a very successful actor as well. I guess early on, was he an influence either with acting or performing or writing? And even to this day, is he someone on whom you rely? To this, uh, well, the answer is no. And then yes. Was he an influence as a kid? No. <laughs> <laughs> Never once. I was on such a singular obsessive path with musical theater. Like I did my first children's theater class at four or five and I was obsessed, like addicted almost like a just truly singular tunnel vision focus on musicals. And 
Jonah was really not like that. He found performing and acting like in his late teens, early 20s, and was so, because he's so brilliant, so successful at it so quickly, and always knew that he wanted to write and direct, but didn't always know that he wanted to act. I think he would say that's true. Obviously, you know, he could explain it in more depth, but I was acting in my head very seriously from the age of like five, like even my, my theater class that was once a week or the community theater I ended up doing or Harvard Westlake theater, like I took so seriously, like obsessively seriously. So when I was a kid, I didn't even have, (laughs) Jonah and I joke about this, like he wasn't even on my radar and I wasn't even really on his, like he was, you know, a teenager and in high school and I was eight and like we just kind of were on different paths. Now I'm in incredibly influenced by him and beg for his advice all the time and and but also vice versa we have a really incredible friendship now that we didn't always have as kids he sort of was like I didn't realize you were a person until you were like 14 or 15 and I was like I know um but then once he did we became like fast friends almost like it it, it took us a while because of our age gap but then once we, I was like at Harvard Westlake and in my later teens, like we became super, super close. And what is the age gap? 10 years. So wow. yeah. now we are, I mean, I was, he was the one that texted me when it made the sound earlier. Um, we're so, so, so close. And he's one of my biggest inspirations and his, his writing and directing is so beyond profound and amazing and He's such a gifted actor, but he is such a gifted writer and director as well, and now producer. So incredibly influenced by him now, never influenced by him as a kid. (laughs) But as a kid, you were saying you were doing theater in Santa Monica, and you did mention that there was a woman there who was very influential even before you came to Harvard Westlake. Would you want to talk about, about her? I would love to. So when I, I did a children's class, theater class, starting at five. And the woman who ran that program was named Cheryl. And she's still um, one of my mom's best friends to this day and almost like an aunt to me. When I was about seven, my family friend was like, he did theater and he was quite a bit older. And he was like in his teens at the time. And he was like, I'm auditioning for a production of Fiddler on the Roof at this community theater in Santa Monica. And they need kids. It was a youth production, but they need quite young kids to play Tevia's youngest daughters. Why don't you audition? And I asked my parents and um, it was the night of the Emmys and my mom didn't want to miss the Emmys. So my dad took me in a rare turn of events. And this was like, I think 1999 or 2000, somewhere in there. And my dad took me and I sang and this woman called my house like the night, you know, a night or two after. And she was like, I'm Ann Gessling and I'm, um, directing and musically directing the um, the show. And I want Beanie to come in and, and do a callback for Fruma Sarah. And my parents hadn't seen Fiddler on the Roof in a really long time. And I had never seen it, I don't think. So mm-hmm. we're watching the movie and we, my parents were like, Fruma Sarah must be one of the youngest daughters of Tevya. Turns out she's the um, widow that comes to haunt them in the dream. <laughs> that is like, 
screaming about Zeidel marrying Laser Wolf and is like a, you know, 40 year old woman ghost. And that is the part that I had been called back for at seven years old. <laughs> I go, my mom was like, I think there was a mistake. And Anne Gessling was like, there was not a mistake. Your daughter is like a force to be reckoned with. I've never heard a, a kid sing like that at seven, just like power, no finesse, no tone, like just kind of Ethel Merman, like pound it to the back of the audience. And I didn't end up getting through Masera. Instead, I ended up getting Fiedka, who's the Russian that Hava ends up marrying. Fiedka sings a solo in To Life. And the guy who was playing Fiedka couldn't sing. So instead, Anne put me on a table at seven years old and had me sing this big Russian oh my moment during To Life. And it's the craziest casting choice anyone has ever made to put a seven-year-old Jewish girl on a table and and have her sing in Russian. But at seven, I was like, I feel powerful. I feel seen. This is what I want to do. And on our second performance, the music cut out because they used pre-records of music. They didn't have the money to have musicians there every day. And the music cut out and I just kept singing. And eventually Anne had to run down the aisle and be like, Beanie, stop. <laughs> we, can't, we can't go on. We have to take a pause. But she changed my life. And I did musicals at the Morgan Wixon from seven to 18 years old for 11 years. Wow. And I can't even count how many I did. I mean, I think like 30 or something. And Anne taught me the immense lesson of commitment and true, true commitment because I would go to school. And then I, my, my mom would drive me all the way to Santa Monica. I'd be up until like 10 p.m. for tech rehearsals at seven or eight years old and then going to third grade the next day. You know, it was just she really had all of us commit to these shows in a way that most people don't ask children to commit, like really genuinely apply yourself. And I'd be doing math homework with my music on top of it you know, and then when the altos were learning their section, I could go back to my math homework. Like I, I learned time management. I learned working in a team. I learned just genuine passion and commitment. And I think I wouldn't have been ready to meet Mr. Walsh had it not been for Anne. She gave me so much and her and her husband, Larry, they're just the heartbeat of that theater. And they both, Anne worked in a law office during the day. Like it wasn't her job. It was her passion and, and her they since have moved out of LA, but that's why I say was, but they're, um, they're in Oregon now, I think. And when Anne and Larry got to come see Hello Dolly, it was uh, a life-changing day for me because they'd only been to New York, I think once before that. Um, and it hadn't been for about a decade and I got to get them tickets to come see Hello Dolly. And it was just, my mom came too, because she was like, I have to watch Anne watch you. Cause it just my whole life. I think I grew up on that, that rickety, that stage, like could you could kind of blow on it the wrong way and it would fall apart. But it was it was my home for so many years, and I I just love that theater. And I don't I genuinely don't think I'd be able to do this if it wasn't for Anne. And what was it like her coming to see you in on Broadway? And did she come backstage after and so forth? Right. And and what was I mean this girl she had put on a table at seven years old, <laughs> and now is on on stage on Broadway? What was her reaction? It was. It was amazing. And in addition to the group of friends I talked about from Harvard Westlake, a few of our friends went to Crossroads. And my best friend, Fran, was in The Little Foxes on Broadway with Cynthia Nixon and Laura Linney. She played their daughter slash niece, depending on the night, because they flip-flopped. 
roles and Anne also got to see Fran who had done we had done musicals together at the Morgan Wicks Inn. Wow. And there's this tradition in Broadway where when a new show opens, all the other shows that are on at that time send little cards. So it'll say like, happy opening, Hello Dolly from the cast of The Little Foxes and then everyone signs it. And Fran wrote, this is for Anne on ours. And it like, it just like, it, we just, it's again, it's one of those moments where it's like when we were 12 and 13 doing 42nd Street, we would have dreamt of, we couldn't have even fathomed the day that we could be on Broadway in the same season. So it's just surreal. And and having Anne there, I just have never, I've, I've never felt, and I felt this way with Walt too. I actually kept a, a show journal when I was doing Hello Dolly. And I remember I wrote, Walt is coming tonight. I've never been more nervous in my whole life because the people that you grow up with, when you learn a craft from someone, they know you inside and out, right? So like, I, I'm terrible with sports, but I imagine if the person that taught you how to pitch is going to know when you're not doing your best pitch more than someone who's just in the stands and doesn't know, you know? So with yeah. and with Anne, it was like, oh my God, like they're going to know if I'm phoning it in or not that I ever tried to phone it in, but they're going to know if I'm tired. They're going to know if I'm not like sparkling at my brightest, you know? And I just wanted them to have the, the best time. But when Anne and Larry got to come, it was, it was very... I remember it was like the summer in July and it was just like, it meant a lot to me. It really meant a lot to me. So you mentioned that this prepared you for Walsh, for Mr. Walsh, Ted Walsh, of course, at Harvard Westlake. And so I'm curious, you've talked about what Harvard Westlake has meant to you kind of post-graduation and that you've maintained this really strong cohort of friends and fellow artists and, and that has been so meaningful to you. I'm curious about your experience while you were there, kind of what the experience was like and also kind of, if you could speak to what it was about Ted Walsh and what it still is, because he's still there uh, teaching kids today, what it is about Ted that was so inspiring to you. Definitely. It's my favorite topic. Oh, so I first met Walsh when I was nine because I went to the center for early education for elementary school. I'm sure many people know that Mr. Hudnut's wife, Dee Dee Hudnut, works at the center. And the upper school was doing The Sound of Music, and they were going to bring kids from the middle school to be some of the younger Von Trapps, but Gretel, the youngest Von Trapp, is supposed to be, I think, four or five in the in the musical, the way it's scripted. So they were like, I don't think any seventh graders could pass for quite that young. So Dee Dee Hudnut was like, I have a girl at the center who I think could handle it. You know, because I she I was gonna be the only kid amongst high school, you know, students. And so I had to audition for Mr. Walsh and I went and I have such a distinct memory of my mom and we were trying to find the choir room, but it's like on the bottom, as many people know that will be listening to this, it's like under the staircase and we didn't know where the entrance was and we were trying to find it. I auditioned and I had to sing for him and then they put me in a lineup with all the other Harvard Westlake students like to see if we looked like a family and then they invited me in. So at nine, I, or maybe I was turning 10, I can't remember, but nine or 10, I was rehearsing at, in rugby at the upper school every single day <laughs> for like four months or whatever it was. Wow. I was so welcomed by all of the students, some of which I'm still friendly with now. Um, one of which was Ben's older brother, Jonah played Rolf. So, you know, we go way back, but 
I was just this kid and they welcomed me with open arms and they were so kind. And that's how I met Mr. Walsh and that I was, I've known him since I was in fourth grade. Um, Beanie, before you continue, I actually want to play. Ted actually talks about this kind of meeting you for the first time. And, um, and so, By well, well you, God, you can hear it. Let's see if you can hear it. Especially, look, I met Beanie Feldstein when I think she was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. Yeah. I cast her. Uh, she was at the Center for Early Education, and I needed a very little kid, even younger than our middle schoolers, for a production of The Sound of Music. Ah. And Beanie was recommended to me, and mm. I met her. And even then, you went, there is something really magical about yeah. this kid when she's on stage. And there she was. Tiny little beanie. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, I, I, I bear a deep affection uh, for that young woman. She's, she's pretty special. Yeah. Wow, that is so – he's just the best. It's like, it's like hearing the voice of, of a family member when I hear him. It's like a grandfather or an uncle or something because I've known him almost my whole life. And I remember working with him on The Sound of Music it was such a formative experience. And I don't think I would have been ready for that had it not been for my time with Anne at the Morgan Whitson. I think she prepared me well to, to be ready for Mr. Walsh. But the thing about Walsh is his expectations, without saying a word, are so high. Because he's so smart, and he's so gifted, and he's so warm. So he, he wants the best out of you and he also can get the best out of you. And I think we all, without saying a word, you just know he's going to hold you to the highest standard, but you also know he's going to be with you every step of the way to get there. And I think that is his gift because he never lowers his expectations, but he'll never not walk you through all of the steps you need to get there. And I've, I've never even really thought of it that way, but I think I think a lot of people would agree with me. He never gives up, but he also will never settle. Mm -hmm. And as a kid at whatever, eight or nine or 10, like that feeling of someone seeing you and believing in you, but also he didn't coddle me or baby. He was like, you're going to work with these seniors in high school and you're going to hold your own. And he believed in me and it makes you want to rise you want to be the person that that person is seeing in their eyes, you know, so you, you hold yourself to a higher standard. And I certainly felt that more acutely in high school when I was getting the privilege of working with him almost every day, whether it was in the classroom, like in one of his classes or in rehearsal, he just sees the best in people and then ultimately gets the best from people because of that. I don't know. I think some of my favorite performances I've ever been a part of have been with Walsh. I remember rehearsing for Our Town and Ben and I were Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs and watching Natalie Margolin play Emily and watching him direct her. And just some of my favorite performances I've ever seen and also been in have been directed singularly by Mr. Walsh or in conjunction with Michelle. And he's magnetic in every way. And you want to know what he's thinking and you want to do your best for him. And I felt that even in the wings at Hello Dolly, I thought, well, just here. Oh, I just want to do my best because he he's not fooled by me. You know what I mean? Like when you love someone that deeply and you know someone that well, I couldn't pull any of my tricks. I had to actually be doing my best. So you couldn't hide. You can't hide. 
it's so funny. You can hide from a thousand people every night and then your high school and childhood mentor is in the audience and you're like, I've never been more nervous. It's like, you know, the most, and also because it was Bette Midler, the most famous people in the world came to see Hello, Dolly. Like, you know, these gigantic titans of the industry. And I was like shaking the most when Mr. Walsh was the audience. So I think that says everything. <laughs> Do you think about now, now that you're doing a lot of TV and film, are there still things that you take from either Harvard Westlake or from Mr. Walsh that you take into to those roles? Oh, absolutely. At least for me, as I mentioned earlier about he's going to walk you through every step. I think I'm someone who really never wants to jump to the end. I believe and I see the power of this exercise leads to that accomplishment and this leads to that. And, and for me, Kind of process over product. Yeah, kind of definitely. And also like you have to, even just saying that my time at the Morgan Wixon prepared me for my time at Harvard Westlake. And then both of those things prepared me to do professional theater. I also think that each project that I've done since graduating from college has really built upon each other. So I would never have been ready to do Booksmart had I not done Ladybird because I love the idea of the supporting cast. And I also think it's very powerful for me to talk about because most of my life, I feel like I spent being the supporting role. And it was always, I think Lady Bird was the culmination of that. Like that role, the way that Greta wrote Julie, my character in Lady Bird, she is the ultimate best friend. There is no greater best friend role, I don't think. I mean, it's easy for me to say because I got to play her, but so often the supporting cast members or supporting roles in films and definitely in musicals are not given the same energy, depth of human experience that the lead characters are given. And I've always loved being the supporting character because I love subverting expectations of how intricate and complex and fun and special the supporting character can be. So I love that that's the focus of what this is in a personal sense of like who got you where you are, because I think I would be nowhere. I would literally be absolutely nowhere if it wasn't for all of these people that helped me. And then I also don't think I would be able to be leading a film or leading a television series if I hadn't had Lady Bird or other roles where I was able to support the lead character and watch that person, in this case, it was Saoirse Ronan, watch her lead with so much grace and generosity and love and warmth and then get to emulate that. I'm not someone who could just jump into the, the driver's seat. I really needed to, this was true when I was learning to drive as well. I needed a lot of practice. Um, <laughs> I'm someone who really likes to take my time and let each thing build on top of each other. So, and I think Walsh, who he is as a person and the fact that he's never going to stop teaching. He doesn't believe in an end result being we did Ted Walsh tonight, which is the biggest culmination of, I can't imagine what that felt like for him to watch that all of us coming back and two or three people that had played the same role in each of his productions singing together. And it was, it was magical, but he didn't say, okay, I'm done. This is it. He's going to keep going, you know? And I think that, that spirit lives in me always in that it's not about the final show. I mean, you only do three or four performances of a high school show. It's not just about doing that show. It's about learning all of those lessons or learning all of those new skills 
and then taking them with you. It was actually Michelle Spears who gave me the phrase, stuff your pockets. She was in improv and Team Monkey, she said, you have to learn anything anyone's going to ever teach you because it could come in handy someday. And she was saying it specifically in relation to improv because like if someone's going to teach you how to juggle, if someone wants to teach you how to juggle, say yes, because you never know when you're going to need to juggle. But for me, I think it applies more broadly, which is like, I won't be ready for this next opportunity if I don't learn everything I can in the opportunity that I'm currently in. And I think Walt really instilled that in me from, you know, elementary school. I knew what it meant to be in a Ted Walsh production, even at nine. (laughs) And I got to learn from all these older kids and it was exhilarating. You know what I mean? Like when you're nine and a cool senior in high school wants to like show you how to preset your props, you're like, this is the coolest day of my life, you know? So yeah, I just, I think... Telling the truth. I think that's what Walt has always been about. He he just, you have to tell the truth. If you don't tell the truth, what are you even doing there? So I think that has always been the case. And there's always such heart in everything that he makes and brings to the stage. And he gets such heart and depth of humanity out of young people that don't necessarily know exactly. I watched, I wasn't able to be there, but I watched moments of when he did Company a few years ago. And who has the audacity to do company with high schoolers? Like, oh, like I'm 27 and I don't know if I could sing Being Alive with as much depth and understanding as that 17-year-old boy did. You know what I mean? I think he gets rich, full human performances out of teenagers. And he does that through believing in their humanity. It's funny. In, in the Ted Walsh conversation, he talks about doing King Lear with Fran Krantz, uh, who's class of 2000. And that's one of the best performances. He's like, a high school student has no business playing King Lear, but he went with it and it's one of his proudest moments. You can go and back and listen to the episode. So I, I want to get to post Harvard Westlake and, and some of your film work. And I know you had mentioned Lady Bird, obviously learning from Saoirse Ronan, who was the, the star of that film and you were the in the supporting cast, but, but gave a great performance. But Greta Gerwig was the director there and she got a lot of accolades and that was a brilliant film were the things you learned from Greta while working on that movie. Absolutely. I feel like Greta, I I consider a sister slash best friend slash mentor. She's sort of a, a culmination of the three. That movie changed my life in every possible way. I mean, How it, so? So first of all, from the moment I got the audition, it said, Julie, 17, loves theater, ever loyal best friend, and like constantly committed to the people she loves or something like that. Then in the description, it was like, Julie, Lady Bird's chubby, kind best friend. Or something. I can't remember. It was written much more beautifully because it's Greta. But I was like, this sounds like someone wrote me in high school. A little bit more demure than I was. But And then I just started reading the script. And Julie doesn't come in until about nine pages in or something. And the opening scene is Lady Bird and her mom in the car. And any person that grew up in LA spent weeks of their life in the car with their parents, right? Like, and culminate all of the hours. It it was weeks by then, maybe even months. You were driving to Santa Monica to go to theater all the time. Yeah, driving from Coldwater Canyon to Santa Monica. Like, you know, you're, you're you're in the car for a long time. And the way that she portrayed this mother-daughter relationship and the depth and complexity and 
strength and nuance and, and comedy and pain in one scene of two women in the car. I thought, what is this? Chills right now thinking about it. I've never read anything like this before I even got to Julie. And then I got to Julie and I was like, I think I can do this. Like it really clicked for me. And I was getting to audition in New York for Greta and she was going to read Lady Bird and I was going to read Julie. And I walk in and it's these incredible casting directors who cast a lot of plays in New York, um, Heidi and Jordan. And they cast a lot for the public theater and I'd been in for them before. So I felt I was saying hi. And then I saw Greta and I was such a big fan of Frances Ha. Like, such a big fan of all of her work, but Frances Hall, really, I, me and my friends from college watched over and over. And I thought, Beanie, this is her movie. All you have to do is just, she was reading Lady Bird. And I was like, all you have to do is just listen and respond because she's going to give you exactly what she wants this to be. And we read it and it felt like as natural as sitting on a couch with your friend. Like it was just so... I wasn't overthinking. I wasn't in my head. I was just so calm. And she smiled and and she was like, do you sing, Beanie? And I was like, uh. And Heidi and Jordan, the casting directors, were like, yes, <laughs> at the same time. Um, and I was like, I too, yeah, a little bit. And they were like, no, she really <laughs> sings. And she was like, okay, great, because, you know, the character will end up singing in her school play. And I was like, that's, yeah, that's not a problem. Like, I, you know, I, I did my plays in high school, tried, just so nervous. And I walked out and I was skipping down the street. I've never, just to this day, I've never had that experience where I just felt I did all I can do. Even if I don't get it, I know I did all I can do. And then, of course, they they called me and it was the greatest day of my life. And I think watching Greta, I was, I think, 23 when I filmed Lady Bird, watching Greta write and direct a film that she wrote that's not a true story, but it's infused with a lot of personal heart. Right. Isn't she from Sacramento and it took place in Sacramento? Exactly. So Lady Bird is not her, but there's definitely a lot of of her essence in, in the film. Right. Watching her, she had such a quiet confidence about everything that she did. She knew exactly what she wanted. And she was so clear and thoughtful and generous in how she communicated it. And it just, it just, I didn't know I could, in my whole life, I'd ever be in a story that felt so true to who I was as an artist and what I wanted to be in. And then I got to do it at the very beginning of my career. So I think, Lady Bird shaped every expectation I have for a script or an experience because it set the bar so high. And then the producers of Lady Bird were producing Hello Dolly and they hadn't found a Minnie Faye and they had auditioned. They had announced the entire cast and at the bottom it said, we will be announcing Minnie Faye at a later date. And after we did the Merrily We Roll Along musical in Lady Bird, they called me and they were like, would you want to audition for Hello Dolly? And I was like, is the sky blue? Like, am I short Jewish? <laughs> like, I, there's nothing that I could possibly want. Is that even like, I mean, what? Like, I don't think you're, I'm not getting the question. Is there a question there? Because I'm not getting it. So they had me audition and it was, I was in LA because we were filming the movie in LA and I had that Monday off. So I auditioned on that Monday for a casting associate, just me, a casting associate and a pianist in a room. And I got home 
And half an hour later, I'm getting a call from my agent. And I was like, oh, the tape didn't work. Something happened with the tape and it didn't work. And I'm going to have to go back and do it. And they called me and they were like, you're going to be in Hello Dolly. And I was like, this is exactly what I said. I was like, I'm going to need you to put that in writing because I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just completely surreal. And, and Hello Dolly, I mean, getting to be on Broadway in general, but then getting to be in that production with not only Bette Midler and David Hyde Pierce, but Kate Baldwin and Taylor Trench and Gavin Creel and Jen Samard and Melanie Moore and, and the entire remarkable, remarkable ensemble changed my life. And those, you know, the age old expression of like, they're my family, like my life changed forever when I was in Hello Dolly. And they're really my family, like on a different level. And Kate, Gavin, Taylor, and I have remained very, very, very close as a little quartet. And then Lady Bird was also the reason that I got this movie called How to Build a Girl. And when I was doing How to Build a Girl, I met my partner. So like Lady Bird is like the, wow. like it is, the, it is the thing that I, all roads lead back to Lady Bird because it just, it set the expectations for me for what I want my career to look like. And when I found Booksmart, it was like the heavens were opening up. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do next because I hadn't found it. I was doing Hello Dolly and I was, you know, sort of loosely looking at things to maybe hopefully do after Hello Dolly. But it wasn't until I found Booksmart that I thought, this is the story that I want to tell, be a part of telling after Lady Bird. So Such a great movie, Booksmart. Thank you. I'm so proud of it. And Olivia is a force. She is a force to be reckoned with. She is fiercely, fiercely intelligent and kind and just energetic. And she's so cool. And that movie is, ugh, I just love it so much. I really am proud of it. Well, Beanie, there are a few kind of standard final questions. Okay. I get to know you as part of the supporting cast. But first, I'm sure you've answered this a lot of times, but how did you get the name Beanie? At least for our audience, you can tell that story. It's a great question. So. My, my legal name is Elizabeth and my mom was working when I was born. And so I had a, a caretaker from my, from like infancy that called me Elizabeth because she is British. And so my family just assumed that Elizabeth was like a super popular British nickname. Now my partner's British and she's like, never heard it once in my life. Like everyone <laughs> I've met in England is like, literally never heard it once. So I don't know where she, she just happened to be British and you thought it was British, but it's not. But she called me Elizabeth from like the day I was born, basically. She was like my baby nurse. And my brothers were just like, let's call her Beanie. That's so funny. Like she's just, you know, and I was the youngest and I was the only girl and, and they were like, let's just call her Beanie. She's just like this little bean. And I always joke, like if you name a dog Spike, but then you call it Spot, it's going to think its name is Spot. So like, I just thought my name was Beanie. Like I didn't have any understanding. And then my mom eventually was like, in school, they're going to say Elizabeth and you have to raise your hand. Like I was like, oh, okay. You know, but I really just thought my name was Beanie and everyone kind of had an opinion. It was like, at 10, you'll want to be Elizabeth. At 16, when you go to college, when you start doing things professionally, I'm like, no, I am Beanie. Like, I love it so much. I think it, it just represents my personality. It gets people's attention. It's like, it's just fun. It's a fun name. So I'll always be Beanie. 
Great. Thank you for, for telling us that. All right. So to end, there are three standard questions as part of the supporting cast. They relate to Los Angeles, where you are now, even though you're you're primarily in New York these days otherwise. We are known for our movies, our food, and our climate. So first, mm-hmm. what is Beanie Feldstein's favorite movie? Bridesmaids. Really? Bridesmaids? Bridesmaids. Through and through. Bridesmaids came out May of 2011, which was like a few weeks before we graduated high school. And we went to see it, like all, my whole Harvard Westlake group of friends, we went to see it at the midnight showing because it was second semester senior year and we could, you know, we could go to the Thursday night, the midnight. <laughs> we saw it literally the, the hour that it came out. And I will never forget, I think seeing that in theaters and Get Out are my two like clearest movie going experiences as an adult or relatively an adult because it just rattled my world. It was like, I've never seen that many women being that funny on screen at the same time. It was earth shattering to me. Like I couldn't even comprehend what I was watching. And to this day, I could watch it every single night for the rest of my life and I would laugh at something different every time, so. Good one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, secondly, what is your favorite meal in Los Angeles? Now, I know you've been stuck here for a year, but when you come back to LA, Ooh. you're seeing your parents, you're here for the holidays, like is there one kind of meal that you, you just gotta have when you're back in LA? That's such a good question. I think it would have to be Chinese food at Xi'an in Beverly Hills. It's just like, it's such a Jew spot. <laughs> it's like where all the Jews go on Christmas. Um, but my whole family, like my mom and I are pretty picky eaters, but my, you know, my brothers and my dad, it was like the one place where all of us top to bottom, my grandma, everyone, we just all loved it. So it was always like the place that we would all go on the weekend or something together. And they have the best crispy onion pancakes I've ever had in my whole life. So I think that, I think it, that for nostalgia's sake, it was like where we, I went as a kid a lot. So what's your favorite place in LA? It could be a part of town. It could be a street or. Ooh, I really love Venice. I, I re, as an adult, I feel like I, I've fallen in love with Venice more, but I feel like I have to say my childhood home because that's like the reason I come back here. And I, I love my neighborhood. I grew up in Chevy Hills and I think I just, my, my parents have had our house for almost 40 years and it has so much history in it. It's like, if those walls could talk, good Lord, <laughs> oy vey. Um, but they, it's, it's the reason I come back and it has, you know, so it's like, you know, that is the Feldstein house. Like it is our, and it's also just, I have so many memories because my, my parents, especially my mom is like, always been so cool. It was such an open door house. Like there was always people there. I could bring 17 people home and my mom would make sure they were all fed and happy and got a good night's sleep. So it was just like, that's sad during the pandemic because it's the first time there haven't been people there because there's, it's usually like overflowing with people and I'll walk in and my mom will be like, here's seven people you've never met. They're staying for dinner. And you're like, okay. But it just has so much life in that house. So I think I'd have to see my house. Great. Okay. Last question. You are obviously not a parent yet. As we mentioned before, I'm the parent of a two-year-old. So I'm, I'm asking people as the very last question, kind of their best parenting advice. But even though you're not a parent, you obviously had great parents who you are still so close with today. You say your favorite part of LA is your childhood home. They are the ones that shuttled you around LA uh, trying to pursue your passion for theater. They're joining you on the red carpet even today. What to me, raising my kids uh, or my my daughter now, what's your best advice? What are the best things that your parents did 
that has meant you remaining so close to them to this day? Oh, it's so, I'm like overwhelmed because they're, you know, they're so different too. So their advice, my biggest piece of advice, this is not the question, but my biggest piece of advice that I gave myself as a teenager was they either want the bean or they don't want the bean, which is just a general phrase in life. I think it started with auditions. Like that's how it first came about was to say, they're either going to want you or they're not going to want you. And if they don't want you, it's the best day of that girl's life. And if they do want you, it's the best day of your life. So either way, it's a win-win. And it's fine. But I think it also applies to friendships, relationships, getting into schools, getting a job, whatever it is. People are going to take you or leave you and that's so okay, but you just have to like own who you are. The reason I say it now is because I think I only was able to think that thought because of my parents and what they've given me, which is like such a safe, safe, safe place to fall. Like, you know, but they also always insisted that we all go for it. Like, I think what I love most about my parents is they all three of their kids, I will say, are like exceptional at what they, you know, we all have gone on to do exceptional things. And I think the reason is because my parents really expected us to do great things. They believed we could and they never held us back. And they, yeah, just constantly, constant, unrelenting belief that we could do it. And as a nine-year-old, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on Broadway and I'm going to treat the Morgan Wixon Theater like it's 42nd Street. And they were right there with me, believing in it just as much, you know? And yeah. when Jonah called them and said, I want to be an actor, they were like, great. You know, when Jordy was like, I want to start my own business, great. Like they just, they have an unrelenting belief. And my mom is more like head in the stars creative and my dad is more grounded and practical and can like actually get things done. So their combination is pretty powerful because- you have like the practical, I'm going to get things done for you, bureaucracy, like logical brain. And then you have this like pure creative energy that can do everything else. So together, they're a pretty powerful duo. Well, yeah. And it strikes me that either you want the bean or you don't. It strikes me also as just a lack of entitlement, maybe too, is that they gave you this confidence to go and reach for everything and dive head into what your passion was. But hey, if you don't get the part, you know, you aren't entitled to that part. Maybe it was best for somebody else. So that that sense of like giving you all of that confidence, but also letting you know, like, you know, you, you might not get every part. And, and if someone else gets it and they're awesome, then support them. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. We, it was never expected that I would get the part. At least, you know, um, ask Mr. Walsh one day about walking into my college meeting with Miss Cusio with my parents. Cause that is <laughs> an iconic story, but my my dad was like, you're not going to get in anywhere. And my mom was like, you're going to get in wherever you want to go. And I think the combination of that leads to what There you go. You know what I'm saying? Like my dad was like, good luck, Bean, because I read a lot of books and the statistics are pretty dark. And my mom was like, she'll get in wherever her heart desires. And then we landed somewhere in the middle, which is like, <laughs> then I got in. Um, so I think the combination of their spirits creates that sort of in-between place where you're like, I'm confident, but I don't expect anything. Right. Wonderful. Well, Beanie, thank you so much um, for spending this hour with us and telling us about some of the mentors early on in your career. Obviously, a lot about Ted Walsh, which I know um, was such an inspiring figure for you and for so many. And then you are now an inspiring figure for, for students and alumni at Harvard Westlake who are thinking about carving their own path in musical theater and, and acting. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. I've had such immense joy getting to come back to Harbor Westlake at different points with, I came to cinema Sundays with Mr. Walsh and 
I came to a few club meetings and with Ms. Cusio, and I'm inspired by the current students there and what they're doing and the way that they're thinking. And I feel like the next generation is so much more socially engaged and open-minded even more than we were. Like they're just pushing boundaries and they're rejecting norms and it's so exciting. And I, I, I yearn for the day I get to go back in person and, and get to see them all again. So great. Maybe your reunion coming up. I know yeah. but this is so wonderful and I can't wait to, to hear everyone else's episodes. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.